0: It's time. Welcome to Nebraska's number one podcast, the Shitcast. The Shitcast, where we take shit talking to a whole new level. If it's sports, music, or live interviews, we got you covered. Now, here's your host,
1: Harvey. Cinco de Mayo, man, that's where all my friends are, because I'm sick, sitting in my basement, in my studio, not feeling the greatest, but you know, uh, I can't complain, should be a great day, we're gonna be, it's, a, it's gonna be a different kind of podcast today, um, not only are we videoing, we're also gonna be posting on YouTube, and Twitch, and everything else, as long as Spotify and Apple Podcasts, you know, you can find us everywhere, today I got a special guest with me. We're gonna to touch some uh, mental health. Men's mental health is my favorite topic, especially PTSD. Uh, something as a retired military vet that I suffer from, um, as well as uh, depression and everything else. So I get the whole whole kit and the whole pot all in one. Um, I got my friend over here, Benji. How's it going?
0: Uh, it's going great.
1: Thrilled Thanks, to be uh, here.
0: That was uh, that was a really exciting show. Done a few <laughs> podcasts lately, and that was that was the best one easily.
1: Uh, they get better. I promise. <laughs> but, um, so all the way from Canada, how's, how's everything over there? I mean, up uh, there, it's up there for us.
0: Yeah. All the way. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm in Montreal. I'm right on the border. So, uh, you know, Vermont's right on I'm only a couple hours away from the States, but yeah, things are going well here. I can't complain. It's finally, uh, not winter anymore. So I can actually get out of the house without a giant snow jacket and toque and all that so
1: so so what's cold to you what's what's winter to you Like, what's the temperature like what's good shorts weather as soon as it starts to warm up what's a good short number uh
0: i i don't do well with cold at all so i'm not the typical (laughs) canadian that like up until it's minus 10 degrees i'm walking out with shorts on but there are there are lots of people like that um but you know, it's six to seven, eight months at a time where it's below. Okay. Maybe that's an excessive, but, um, I don't know. I'm not going to give you specific numbers, but six to eight months at a time where you just don't really want to be outside. And I believe it's, it. uh, you know, not a lot of sunlight, not a lot of activity. It gets rough.
1: It's, uh, so we're in Nebraska and it, it gets cold. You know, we get our times. Winter's just brutal, but it's just been an like we've been 80 85 and then we get up to like 87 and then all of a sudden drops down to 20 30s 40s and then you can't have a promised day so like the last week it's been great so hopefully we're in summer now and we're ready to rock and roll because i'm just miserable of the cold i hate it so much and it's 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 terrible
0: i feel you on that end but i those numbers that you just dropped we use celsius i have no idea what any of those oh is, yeah but. like i, I can't guess. i can't contextualize <laughs> any of that <laughs> well
1: it, it's cold so um it's enough that i i would hate to wear shorts on a 23 God, i don't even know what 23 degrees in celsius that'd be yeah i'm not even gonna get into that anywho um yeah <laughs> well welcome to the shed cast um it's a little different because we usually have people in the studio and I, I've done a couple of interviews uh, over Skype or not Skype. This is the first time using Skype. We usually do interviews over um, Zoom and Zoom has been giving us problems and I just don't want to deal with Zoom's issues right now. <laughs> so Skype looks great. you looking good over there. The video is coming in clear. So it's just going to be me today. We're going to start off with kind of give me a little introduction about yourself. Let everybody know um, a little bit about you.
0: Yeah, so my name's Benji Scherer, pronounced like someone who shares. And uh, I am a mental health coach, or I actually kind of prefer the term emotional fitness trainer. And I use that term because I think a lot of people look at mental health as an intellectual activity. You know, we spend lots of time in the therapist's office talking about the past, talking about the traumas, trying to find the logical sort of way around our pain. And at the times in my life when things got the worst for me, I found that that approach generally just made me feel worse about myself and hate myself even more because I already understood where my pain was coming from. So talking about it and like talking about in this context where, okay, well, if you talk about it, it's supposed to make you feel better. So I keep on talking about it and I'm not feeling better. And in fact, you keep on you being the therapist, you know, keep on trying to explain things to me that I already know about myself. And it's, it just got really frustrating. So what my approach is really about is that the discomfort that we feel inside of us and the the uncomfortable emotions and the uncomfortable sensations, things like the turning feeling in the pit of your stomach or the tightness in your chest, the things that we associate with anxiety. These are actually your body's way of trying to process something. And the problem is that over time we have come to associate those things as threats, as being dangerous. So we learn to push them aside and it's like, It's like that emotional muscle of learning how to feel that discomfort so that we can process all of the things that we're holding on to atrophies. We start losing that muscle. We lose the skills. We forget how to do it. And that the real emotional healing can come without needing to analyze, without needing to logic it away. So that's why it's an emotional fitness training approach. We need to learn how to confront that stuff head on, how to build the strength and the tools and the skills to feel everything that's going on inside of us and allow the body to go through the natural purging process that it's been trying to go through
1: and so you you take on clients do you uh specifically i mean do you when you take on clients do they reach out to you through email is there certain ways that they can get a hold of you if there's people out here that are listening that want to you know get involved with a life coach with someone to help them better uh, the way of life and how they're living especially emotionally
0: yeah, absolutely. Firstly, let me just clarify and no disrespect to anyone else. Personally, I really don't like the the term life coach. It I don't just feels you. very <laughs> generic, very odd. And I'm not going to say anything else about it because I don't yep. want to knock anyone who does use that term. But I have, yep. let's say, issues with it. Um, so people who want to reach out to me, yeah, they can absolutely find me um, the, by email um, I'm sure that, I mean, I can say, you want me to say my email now or you'll paste it? Somewhere. We'll have
1: everything in the inbox for everybody exactly. in
0: the description exactly.
1: below. So they'll be able to find you there.
0: Exactly. So they can email me. There's my main web page where they can find out a little bit more about kind of my coaching and about me. Um, but if anyone's going to check me out, I'd suggest that they would start either with my book, which we'll talk about at some point, I'm sure. Or actually I've got a webinar. It's called healing feelings first. It's about an hour long and it's, that's how most people find me and reach okay. out to me.
1: And where they went and everything's I guess on, on your site and everything they can find the webinar from there.
0: Well, like you said, we'll we'll put the links down, no but problem, the webinar for anyone listening now, Benji slash replay. That's where you'll find the webinar.
1: Beautiful. And then, um, so I know for mental health, especially for, for myself, um, I struggled for a long time. I used to be really happy, really happy guy. Um, I had three back surgeries through the military and after those surgeries, my wife and my family started noticing a change. Um, I My eating gotten worse. I would just eat more junk. I would gain weight fast. Um, my mood would change. I have rapid mood swings. I wouldn't be my – well, it wasn't myself. Um, I would snap at my kids easier than whatever I'd done before. Um, and uh, – we were kind of at a loss of what we needed to do. I I tried counseling. I I tried everything through the VA and the VA is wonderful for me, but, um, I can't sit in a room with a counselor and just sit there and talk about my feelings and how it affected my, my day to day. I'm not a feelings guy. And, um, being in the military, we weren't feelings people, you know, we didn't talk about our feelings and I think men alone don't talk about their feelings and it's a hard subject to, to, to touch up on. So, um, I eventually, you know, come to find out, you know, that, um, Low testosterone kind of drove me a little bit, and that was kind of a key factor. And then I had to dig deeper into myself and really pull myself back out of the of the hole that I dug myself in. Um, I'm definitely a much happier guy. Um, I don't, you know, I quit. I quit a lot of bad habits. Uh, nicotine was one of them. That was a really big um, mental thing that I had going on with me too. Was battling with nicotine addiction and uh, got rid of all sugars and all sodas. I stopped drinking pop taking in all the bad stuff and letting out all the good stuff. So definitely a 100% change now. I'm definitely a happier, happier man. And uh, I think my wife, my wife can uh, testify to that, but kind of, I want to touch base on how, you know, what are some signs that, um, you know, every man doesn't want to say that they're depressed and every man doesn't want to say they have an issue because it's hard for us to open up and accept that we have problems and we're supposed to be the strong, the strong providers. So, what advice do you have for somebody that's might be struggling with depression? Don't even know it.
0: Um, okay. Well, you, you kind of presented a few different potentials, or like <laughs> presented as if you were going to ask like three or four different questions there, and then okay. So the it, the question being, someone who's dealing with depression doesn't necessarily know it. Um, yeah. I mean, one thing that I would say is that ninety nine percent of the population is carrying around baggage and trauma that they don't realize they're dealing with. As you mentioned, especially men, we're trained not to talk about this stuff, but even more so, we're trained not to feel it. You having gone through military training even more so. And I have immense amounts of respect for you as a veteran. And I also know, like, I mean, look, I don't have personal experience with it, but I'm aware at least of the... How can I put it? The mind molding that goes into creating a soldier who is kind of willing and able to follow orders. I very much believe that we are naturally empathic at our cores, And there were studies done that in general, even soldiers in a life or death situation often tend to shoot above the heads of their enemy because it is so unnatural for us to want to cause harm to another. And in order to get someone to be able to do that, there's a lot of mind molding and a lot of training. I always think of, um, there's this scene in Full Metal Jacket, I mean, the whole movie, but where they're walking around in circles with their rifles in one hand and their balls in the other going, this is my rifle, this is my gun, this is for fighting, this is for fun, and they're just doing that for like probably hours at a time just pounding that into their heads because you need to break a lot of, you know, just the natural instincts of a human being in order to get them to do that sort of stuff. And that that what soldiers go through is really just a heightened version of what everyone goes through in their lives. Because as, as far back as we can remember, starting off as kids, you know, Maybe for the first couple of years of your life, your parents will um, indulge you in your emotions and in the full personality. But at some age, at some point, you know, you start getting told to stuff that away. Big kids don't cry or you have to be polite or you have to, you know, listen. Kids are to be seen and not heard, whatever it is, or even just little ways that even the most loving of parents will snap at you when you're not behaving the way that they, that they want you to starts teaching you these lessons of, okay, here I am being and expressing myself. And when I am expressing myself, sometimes it's even just when you're expressing joy and your parents, you know, maybe they're stressed out from work or they haven't dealt with their own pain and their trauma. Even the most loving of them will sometimes snap at you for it. And in that moment, well, the lesson that you just learned is okay. When I fully express my joy. Well, that leads to punishment. It leads to uh, rejection. It leads to pain inside of me. Pain that, as a child, you absolutely have no idea how to deal with, and you don't feel safe in the moment to deal with it. And then, if you cry about it, if you express yourself, it's going to lead to even more judgment, even more punishment. So you start training yourself, okay, in order to avoid this pain in the future, there are certain things about me as a person that I need to start stuffing away. And we all start programming ourselves basically around the defense mechanisms that we use to keep ourselves safe. And most of us will spend our entire lives acting as that surface level identity that we have created, not ever realizing that that's just not who we are. And that so many of the things that we're doing don't feel good. Like one of the examples that, that pops into my head, uh, is sarcasm. That's that's yeah. Sarcasm is a defense mechanism. It's a way of keeping people at bay of like saying something that's kind of on your mind, but not really saying it and trying to pass it off as a joke and blah. And, and when it comes to sarcasm, there are some people, and sorry to offend anyone. If this if this hits home for any of, for I didn't mean for you, but like for you, <clears throat> Susie, but any of your audience who this might hit home for, is the people who pride themselves on it, the people who like put on their dating profiles or whatever. Like if you can't keep up with my sarcasm, then we're not a good fit. There's no judgment there, but it's the fact that they don't realize that sarcasm is a defense mechanism and that it's their way of keeping people at a distance, and. Not only do they not realize it, but they like dig into that, like, hey, this is a huge part of my personality. And we spend a lifetime not realizing all of the subtle ways that we've been building a mask that is designed to protect ourselves from pain that we simply didn't know how to deal with at the beginning. And this is where the emotional fitness training comes in, because that discomfort that you're feeling when you need to be honest and open with someone is really just a trained response from that first time. Not, I, I don't like connecting it too deep into one trauma. It's not just that first time. Yeah, but a from, bunch of them. Exactly. From all of the times that you expressing your truest self led to pain. And the mind doesn't like that. So... The brain, I, I like to say, the, the, the mind is an asshole,
1: and yeah, it does everything no, sure. that
0: it can to avoid that discomfort, but as I mentioned, that discomfort is actually your body's way of trying to deal with something.
1: Correct. I, uh, <clears throat> we went to, me and my wife, to say we, we did a couple's, couples counseling. You know, uh, We had some, some stuff in our marriage, and uh, we wanted to work it out. We wanted to be stronger as a couple not only for ourselves, but for our kids as well, you know? And uh, we, we we talked to a lady um, listed as a life coach. Uh, she did a lot of tr- couples therapy, a lot of stuff, and then she, she did things on the side to push individuals that were struggling in life. And one of the things was, as you mentioned, sarcasm. And I'm big on sarcasm because I'm just a sarcastic asshole. And that's just how I was always been. And and especially in the military, being a sarcastic asshole, that's just what it was. And I would I would use the term when I would be talking to my wife, or she'd be saying asking me to do something like, okay, mom. Yep. Yeah, all right, mom. And that's one thing she said, hey, that's your defense mechanism. Like you're referring that to your mom. And then she's like, she might not, and then she said she might not know that she might be nagging at you or, you know, talking to you in a mom tone, but she is a mom, you know, she's, she doesn't, it's hard for a woman to shut off that switch from mom mode to wife mode, it's, it's, especially when you're dealing with kids at the same time, you're doing with your husband, and your husband's probably being a child at the same time, and you're trying to flip that switch back off and on, off and on, so, <clears throat> being sarcastic like that, it doesn't help anybody's situation. It comes more of you as you're being rude, if anything. And it's not that, hey, you know, I'm sarcastic. You should understand that kind of kind of mentality. I grew up; that was what I expected. People knew I was sarcastic, and and using that was a thing. of Like, well, don't take it seriously. I'm just being sarcastic. You know me. I'm a no sarcastic prick. You know, that's just how it was. So after some diving into some life life issues and traumas um yeah sarcasm for me was a way to uh kind of just deal with the pain and um it's 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 weird you know And, and hearing it from other people's perspective talking to some friends that went through some counseling they have their other things that they have too and and i felt like man i was like i'm the only one being a sarcastic prick like this is how i this is how i perceive myself and then listen to other people and like now i know like a lot of my friends are sarcastic like they're the ones battling with depression. They're the ones battling with illness. And that's their defense mechanism. That's their wall they put up. And that's just the way for them to brush it off. And it's just it's really strange how the how the brain um is wired, especially for males and females. Um, you know, a lot of us males are are brought up to be the providers, the I can't talk your feelings and you know, talking to somebody well, so- it's hard.
0: Here here's the real thing and this is where like my whole approach comes in. It's not about the talking about it. Emo- like uh, don't get me wrong. First the ability to express and to talk openly about your emotions especially with a partner is absolutely important in a relationship and it's an important skill in life. But I don't think that that's where the real healing happens. So because in the moment when you are being sarcastic it's not the inability to talk about your emotions that's the real problem. It's the inability to feel them. And it's not just the emotions um, because the emotions are this intangible thing that's hard to put a finger on. You know, the way I like to express it is like, I think emotions are a sense. You know, we talk about the five main senses. No one talks about emotions as a sense, but it's this intangible thing. Like you can, you know what a strawberry tastes like, even though you can't describe in words really what a strawberry tastes like. Right. And you know what sadness feels like, even though you can't really describe, you You can't describe love. That's why poets exist, you know, because we can't right. describe emotions. And it's not the inability to express, to, to to talk about it or to put it into words, but it's the, there's the intangible discomfort of the emotion, but that's more kind of like, that's the the weather of your mood. Like, is it rainy? Is it sunny? That's the weather. But it's even more so, it's, there's, what I like to call energetic sensations Mm -hmm. and there's discomfort somewhere in your body. So in that moment, when you are being triggered into using sarcasm somewhere in your body, you're feeling discomfort and I'm willing to bet, I mean, maybe after working with this life coach or, or dealing with it a bit, maybe you recognize it now, but I guarantee you that for years, if you recognize it now, you never realized it in those moments when you're snapping, when you're being sarcastic, you say, okay, mom, somewhere inside of you, like when he, even when I was just role-playing it right now, when I said it, there was a bit of tightness right there. And we kind of cringe around it. We hold that in. It's sort of like, um, think about a lie detector test. Mm-hmm. When you lie, there are certain things happening physiologically in your body and that's why they can measure it. And when you are getting triggered into that sarcasm. There there are things happening physiologically in your body and they feel very uncomfortable and they feel like a threat. And a large portion of what I talk about uh, the way that I teach people is there's this constant cycle going on between the three elements of your experience of reality. Everything that you experience is basically one of three things, thoughts, emotions, sensations. There's the outside world that's sending things to your experience, but everything that you experience internally is either a thought in terms of understanding, in terms of concept, consciousness, an emotion, which is that intangible thing, or a sensation. So right now there's the sounds hitting your ears, the sound waves that are hitting that vibrate the ear, drums that create that. There's the light that's coming in, there's the temperature of the air on your skin and the feeling of your shirt on your skin, all those sort of things. Thoughts, emotions, sensations. Everything that you experience is one of those things, and there's a constant cycle going on between them, such that when something from the external world triggers you, and it triggers you both because it has a similar sensation kind of frequency, or just the thoughts and the concept and the memory of it brings this stuff up. So let's say, you know, your wife is, I don't know, give me an example of something that would make you be sarcastic. (sighs) Um, I would have to say, you oh, man.
1: I, you know, that's that's a hard one because I I think it's like a lot of times it's just in the moment, and I haven't done it. I don't do it no more, and because I I it really did affect her and a lot, so I stopped doing the sarcasm thing, and I, I worked on a lot of that, but. It would be something dumb as something to do with, like, the dishes or something or, you know, I asked you to take that trash out for me and, I, you know, me being me, I forgot. And then she would nag not nag at me, but she would repeat herself over and over again until I finally, you know, I said, all right, yeah, for, sorry, I, I forgot. And then she'd say something like, all right, mom, I got it. I'm taking it out, you know.
0: So what's really got kind of going on in a moment like that is when she reminds you about it. Firstly, there's the thoughts and you're sort of conceiving of this. You can understand what's going on. And because of that, there's a sense of being unsafe. You feel like you're being challenged. That's why we call it a defense mechanism. It's because in that moment, we feel like we need to protect ourselves from it. So that concept and the understanding of what's going on, creates a sense of fear inside of us and that fear is sending this message to our body that we're in danger and our body has that sort of physiological response which in the moment that i was role playing that sarcasm there was that tightness in the chest and that tightness in the chest feels uncomfortable and we don't know how to deal with it so we try and analyze it or we try and respond to it or we try and attach it to something because that intangible sensation that 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 discomfort that you're feeling inside of you even though it was triggered By this experience, it isn't really about that experience because you're not actually in danger in that moment, but you're having a physiological response as if you're in danger because your body is playing out the response of some other time that you were in danger in the past that you never dealt with. That you never allowed yourself to feel in that moment. And it's playing out these same patterns. That's the way the brain wires itself over time. It gets used to this response. And because that discomfort feels like a threat, okay, well, the body, instead of going through that purging process where, you know, maybe it's maybe we needed to shake or we need to scream or we needed to cry or we need to laugh. These are all ways of purging emotions and allowing our body to release certain energy. Since we didn't do that in the first place, we've now started kind of disconnecting that natural process. So when you're getting triggered into that moment, your body has that physiological response. And if you could allow yourself to feel into that discomfort, then your body can purge it and you wouldn't need to cycle it into more thoughts. You would not need to analyze it and dissect it and react in that particular way. And when you react in that particular way, obviously it causes other cycles between you and your spouse that brings this stuff all back up. So the problem isn't that you haven't talked about it. The problem is that you're afraid to feel it and you don't know how to because you've spent a lifetime training yourself not to.
1: That's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not an emotional person, so... Yeah, <laughs> growing up, I never was. I never knew how to express my emotions. It wasn't, it, my family wasn't an emotional family. My wife, uh, she's an emotional, she's an emotional set of a family. So she's been, you know, some things, they won't make me cry. Like it's some, some, like a, a one of my dogs dying, like obviously that makes me cry. Like that gets me an emotional attachment. Um, but if like, she could see something off offline off of a video and emotionally attach herself to it and then start crying. And I'm like, I, I can't, I, she's like, do you have any compassion? I was like, I, I can have compassion, but I just don't show my compassion through tears or through, that's not how I express it. Um, and, and it's just weird because it took me a while to realize like I can, I can cry if I want to cry and it's okay everyone out there, all the men listening, it's okay to cry. <laughs> we're we're human. Everyone's human. You can cry. And and then after like that first time I let myself cry and I cried in front of my wife and and cried in front of the counselor and just like, let it happen. I felt great. I'm like, all right, I didn't hold all this in. I'm letting all this out. And then once I released that plug that was holding everything in, I mean, everything spilled out and I felt like a new person. I mean, I felt reborn. I felt like I could talk about my emotions, I I can talk about my feelings, and I can connect with her on a certain level that I could never connect with her before, and it truly was a wonderful feeling, and I just wish that everyone out there that's struggling with that feeling of holding back and not wanting to express how they really feel, it's a wonderful feeling to allow yourself to do so.
0: Yeah,
1: It changed my life. That's for sure. Um, I also you know, there's a big stigma and, and it's, I see a, a few videos, you know, people on, aren't on TikTok. I don't know if you're on TikTok, if you ever scroll through TikTok. Um, my wife will look through TikTok when she's in bed and just cause she's bored or whatever, we don't want to put the TV on and then we'll have conversations. But there's videos on there that I come across about men's mental health. And one of them was a video from Chris Rock and he was doing one of his standups and he talks about, Women, kids, and dogs are all loved unconditionally, but not men. And I feel as if that can be true. Um, it's just hard to really wrap your head around it because, it, I mean, you think about it. I mean, I think that's what brings a lot of men into a depression, depression and, and into that kind of psychological state is knowing that they're some of them are feel like they're bred to be providers and that they can't do anything else, but provide. And so they might give that love out, no matter if that's, you know, loving by gifting or holding or kissing or hugging or however they choose to, you know, treat all that. I, how do you feel like with that statement of him saying, you know, kids dogs and children are all loved unconditionally how do you feel on that on him saying that like how do you feel is that true to you i mean do you see the truth behind that at all
0: i mean look um many many (laughs) women children and dogs are not loved unconditionally i mean especially the work that i do um i speak to women every single day who have gone through i before I started doing this work, like I wouldn't even believe that these things still ha- could happen in this world. So right. I don't think it's true to say as a general you know, overarching rule that women, children, and puppies are loved unconditionally. Mm-hmm. But as far as societal expectations, the way for the women, children, and dogs that are given love, yes, there's a certain, there's a different perspective on how they are to be given love. And certainly men are not, given the same um it's not expected for us to receive outward expressions of love in the same way but i think that part of that is i don't want this to come across the wrong way um is that how we allow us
1: though i mean is it some of us on our fault
0: that's kind of what i'm going towards but i don't want it to sound it's not like let's say you're <laughs> not being loved unconditionally it's not your fault right. it is the fault of the gender role that we have put in in the first place and how this has come down that we in the same way that most men are uncomfortable talking about their emotions mm-hmm. Most men are also uncomfortable receiving that level of unconditional love. They are uncomfortable, like most men. Okay, so let's say we're talking about outward acts of kindness towards your loving spouse. Like, Mm -hmm. so an emotionally open man would be beautiful if your wife brought you home flowers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like we don't crave flowers in the same way, but like if your wife did that for you, like, wow, that's thoughtful. She was out, she was, or, or even if she brought you something less. Feminine. One of your food. favorite
1: drinks or your favorite foods or yeah.
0: something. Yeah. Oftentimes a lot of would feel uncomfortable receiving that gift. But I went with the more feminine thing because I, th- I think that it that helps. Like we are so desperate to maintain that masculine aura as a result of the gender role that has been put onto us that we would feel very uncomfortable receiving kindness in the same way. I would be, I, I
1: would be shocked if I got flowers. I will tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> be like, oh, Well, thank you. You know, it, it's different because yeah. you're not used to that, but that's a great example. I, that's, I, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. We would actively push away that act of kindness. And especially like if you go back a generation or two. You know, because look, you and me sitting here talking, you've done a lot of work to reopen your emotions. So we and and I clearly like I have as well. So we are not necessarily the poster boys for the the kind of men who are resistant to this in the way that we're talking about. But if you go back a generation or two, especially like, yeah, they, you know, my father would have fought really hard to maintain that masculine perspective and would have because... Having developed those defense mechanisms over the years where we needed to protect ourselves from pain, of being, of being forced to stuff away our emotions, it's very, it becomes unnatural over time to actually receive that. So receiving a level of love that is not normal for you is actually very uncomfortable. Think about like the, if if you had to like staring into someone's eyes for a few minutes at a time, even after like 10 seconds, it can become very awkward, very uncomfortable. Even if it's with your spouse or something, um, it takes a very open heart to connect with someone in an intimate way. And when you are kind of being forced, if you're not used to it, it can be very triggering and very uncomfortable. So I think that's what's going on, that it's, there are all of these gender roles that have been put into place over generations. And then the men themselves will often perpetuate that problem because they are uncomfortable receiving that unconditional love. And so, you know, a phrase, I think, I don't know, by Oprah or uh doctor, I don't know who it was, but like you train, pe- you train people how to treat you. So on the one hand, it's not our fault. Like it's not if I were to do it, it's not my fault. It comes down from generations and from all of the trauma and all of the pain that I've experienced in my past. But if I haven't done enough work on myself to be open to receiving that love, then I will actively push it away and I will do everything that I can to make sure that I don't receive it because it's uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, it's, It's.
1: you know, I, I learned to accept my role as, as a father and as a husband. And I guess not what's expected of me. I don't want to say it like that, but like, you know, I want to be the best father I could possibly be. You know, I want to be better than my father. Now, I think that's almost every dad's goal or, you know, maybe not, but a lot of the friends I talk to, they want to be better than what their dad was. And to me i just want to be there for my kids as much as possible my dad always worked and and i grew up i'm 32 years old so i grew up i was born 1990 you know i grew up throughout the 90s so it's like that time where you had to work you if you're if you're a low middle class family which we came from my mom and dad were gone like they constantly worked all the time so The only time that I got to see my parents when my mom would be home at six o'clock at night and she's fixing dinner, we would eat dinner. Sometimes as a family, sometimes it would just be sitting at the island counter and that was it. And then off to taking a shower and getting in bed. Like that was my every day. So I didn't get to experience that love and emotional connection as like what my wife got to do. My wife, she would Go to school, she had either her mom, or if her mom was working, she had her grandma. and Her grandma would be there with her all the time. So she had somebody to be there all the time. And, and I had that too, but it just on a different level. So when it comes to myself as an individual and learning how to receive love, I didn't really learn how to receive love until my first child, my daughter, was born. And I'm like, wow, this is... This is this has happened. This is real. Like this, I haven't felt that emotional connection with anybody before. And uh, after a few years, I how she would look at me and look up to me and and talk to me. And then I met my wife, and um, I just changed because the amount of love that I felt from her, as much as she's tried to, you know, in problems that we've had um, dating. You know, we dated when I was overseas. It was challenging uh, to coming back home. She's moved from Nebraska to Mississippi. You know, she's done these things for me. And I didn't accept that. And I didn't realize that all these things she's done for me um, was out of love. She didn't have to move down. She didn't have to move 1,800 miles away to be with me, you know. And she lived with me for two years down there until we moved back to Nebraska. Um, It's just... She opened a new way to love. Um, for me, it's it's really it was really hard to grasp, but once I did, I, I I felt amazing. I was a new person, and I just wish that every guy out there that you know that's struggling with that kind of feeling, let it out. Love, you know, like you're not gonna always, not everyone's gonna find that right away. They're not gonna find the person, their soulmate, their their person that they love forever. You know, it's somebody's out there for everybody, but even if it's your kids if you're a divorced dad and you have your kids you know be the best dad let those kids feel that love let them grow up being loved and that it's just gonna make those kids i feel just even stronger when they grow up they're gonna be like hey my dad loved me so much he he did as much as he could to provide for me and make my life so much better i'm gonna do that or even better for my kids you know it's just, there's a, there's a, there's a line where I think every person just stops and says, you know what? I did what I could. I did the best I could. And they just stop. I want to be better. I want to be better. I want to beat that line. You know, I want to go on to do better than my dad. I want to do better than my grandpa that did for my dad. So there's just a thing out there that guys just think that they, they just have to be the providers and they can't love. And it's just sad.
0: Yeah. But, you know, use the phrase like, firstly, just beautiful, beautiful share. And I'm so happy that you found that and that you, that you have that perspective to be there for you. your kids in that way. It's amazing. And it, just when you were talking about love, like that was, that was heartwarming to well, me. appreciate it. And I am unfortunately single at 36 years old, and still looking for that one person. So it was beautiful to hear. But as you were saying this, you know, to men, like, you, you know, for anyone who's still struggling, you use the phrase, j- just l- like, let it out. And while that's, yes, I agree. And that's great advice. I, I think, the, the issue is that that phrase, you know, it, it makes it sound simpler maybe than it is, right. or it doesn't like, it, it doesn't really get across what needs to happen. And in order to let it out you're going to have to confront the discomfort that comes up. That is, it's your body's defense mechanism. Your body thinks that, okay, so here's where I've been living my life and here's where letting it out is. And in between that is the wall that you've built up. Because your brain thinks that if I let it out, something bad is going to happen. Because in the past, when I've let it out, something bad is going to happen. So in order to learn to let it out, we need to learn how to, how to, Feel safe experiencing that discomfort, and again, the issue is that so many people are trying to let it out just by talking about it. And right. talking about it is a great first step, but that's not the same. Like when I, I will never deny that therapy is often helpful for people. But the reason why therapy is generally the most helpful isn't because you talked about and logicked it out. It's because while talking about it it brought something up and that forced you to cry it out or to finally let it out. And the thing is that your body is trying to do that kind of all the time. Mm-hmm. It's constantly trying to help you w- w- break through that barrier. It's just that we don't know how to actively feel it. So in, even in terms of being a parent and you were talking about, you know, you're going to be better for them and you like give them that love in order to be able to give your kids the level of love that your parents weren't necessarily able to give you, you're going to need to learn how to feel that discomfort inside of you so that when it comes up, you don't respond with your defense mechanisms. You don't push that back out onto them. It's it's a matter of allowing your kids to feel safe. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be the perfect parent. You don't need to know exactly what to say all the time. You don't always have to have the perfect advice or know how to guide them, especially mm-hmm. because look, the world our children are growing up in, my it's God, crazy. is so drastically different. I mean, with mm-hmm. Chat GPT coming out and AI and everything, oh my God, we yeah. grew up in like, you know, you had Super Mario Brothers when you're growing <laughs> up. Now they're playing photorealistic war simulator games. Like the, the level of technology, the world that they are growing up in is so drastically different. We can't yeah. possibly guide them specifically. The goal is to make them feel safe expressing and being themselves so that they don't spend their adolescence building up those same walls and defense mechanisms that we did. And the only way to allow them to feel safe is by making sure that we don't project our discomfort and our defense mechanisms onto them. And the only way to do that is practicing opening up that pipe, that, that blocked pipe of emotions that's been trapped, in, that's, that's been preventing all of this stuff from moving through you. And if you face that discomfort and that discomfort, like I said, is presenting itself to you every day yeah, in the ways that you're getting sarcastic, in the ways that you're getting defensive, in all those moments when, you know, things aren't going right for you or in the moments when you're feeling sad, just whatever, the, the moments that you're getting angry, yeah. that is your trauma presenting itself to you. And that is the blockage presenting itself to you, yelling at you, going, hi, here I am. You promised me that you were going to deal with me when you were safe. You know, in that moment of initial trauma, you weren't safe, so you stuffed this away. You told me to come back later. Okay, here I am, here's your trigger. Are you ready to deal with me? But in those moments, we still keep stuffing it away, and then we go and try and talk it out later. But in that moment that you're getting triggered, if you can learn how to feel into that discomfort, and how to stop that cycle that's going on between your thoughts, your emotions, and your sensations, and to deal with that discomfort head on, then you can process in that moment, you can open up, you can let it out, as you said, and you don't need to analyze where, where is it coming from? doesn't yeah. matter where it's coming from. It's right there in the moment.
1: So I learned that I have three different versions of myself Got and I don't know if you, you should probably know what I'm talking about, but I have to find the version of Tyler that my wife likes, right? That is going to be there to help the emotional support of how she's feeling um, the loving, caring husband that she deserves. And there's one that is the sarcastic Tyler that no one really wants to hear, but he's there. It might say things in my head, but I got to know in certain situations, I got to flip him off. I got to just turn him off. He can't come out. Or I got my third profile is the, is the one that just needs to love that needs to care that needs to express how he's feeling. Because I, I for the longest time I couldn't express how I felt, you know, couldn't love as as one should, and then my sarcastic attitude. So I got to learn that, you know, in certain situations these guys can't all come out at once, and then I got to in certain situations I got to just let that person handle how it is.
0: If that makes sense, I don't. Oh, it it absolutely makes sense. The thing that I was kind of like smirking of, like that about was when you were talking about that second version of you, the sarcastic version of you, and you're saying you need to shut that part down. That, like, okay, obviously we don't want that part of you to be in charge. We don't want that to, to come out as much exactly because you know that that's not how you want to act. But right now, that version of you is simply a wounded part of you that's trying to express itself. Mm. And the whole point of all of this is i mean we were talking about unconditional love before the core concept that i operate around is unconditional self-love that's what has to be at the core well guess what that second version of you that's part of you right and when you tell yourself that there is any portion of you that you need to shut down it creates this um partition within yourself and that sarcastic version of you isn't an asshole he's not a bad guy He's a representation of wounds that you haven't dealt with. So here are all of these things that that sarcastic version of you is a representation of your pain. And you're telling that part of you, okay, you're not welcome here. (laughs) Well, guess what? That's just you taking more and adding to that sarcastic version of you. So again, we don't want to act sarcastically and aggressively and rudely. And we certainly not to the people that we love, but The more that you tell yourself that that version of yourself isn't welcome, you need to shut it down, is just one of the extra ways that you are perpetuating that cycle. Because that version of you is just trying to express something to you. And we need to learn how to love that part of you as well, so that it won't keep on coming out. The reason it keeps coming out is because it hasn't had the ability to express itself yet, not appropriately. Not properly. It hasn't had the ability to really deal with those emotions. Like you're a father, what happens when one of your kids is pulling at your pants, going, Daddy, 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 please look at me, please look at me, please look at me, daddy, and you don't pay attention to it.
1: It's uh it's to him or her. It's <laughs> either yeah, yeah. It's either, hey, you know, stop, stop. Here, you know, or they get upset and they throw a tantrum, or they just feel let down that they didn't get that attention right away.
0: Exactly. That's the portion of you. The sarcastic portion of you is the child pulling at you. Hey, Tyler, please look at me. Please look at me. Please look at me. And when you don't give it the attention that it needs, it either has a tantrum or it shuts down. And when it shuts down in the moment, well, it's still there and it's going to keep trying to come out. So the next time something triggers that kind of frequency and that emotion, it's coming back up and it's pulling at your pants again, saying, Daddy, please look at me, except now it's a little more scared, too. Because the last time it tried to get your attention, well, you weren't very nice to it. So it's keep on trying to do it and it perpetuates that cycle. So again, in that moment, that version of you is feeling some pain. If you can learn how to feel that discomfort before you respond, then it's not about shutting down that version of yourself. It's actually about giving it the attention that it needs. But you give it that attention internally before you feel the need to project, because if it can't be felt inside, then you're going to push it outside. And when Mm -hmm. you push it outside, that's you being sarcastic. The sarcasm is the symptom. It's the response to the actual emotion that that inner Tyler is trying to express to you in that moment.
1: As much as I love, I want to keep talking about this topic, you made some great points. Um, thank you so much for covering all that because I, and I never expect myself to share the way I share, but I do it just because I can relate and I know how some of my listeners uh, are just like me or just like my other co-hosts that are on the show. Um, they can relate the same way. They hold everything in just because that's what we're brought to be. We're manly men. you know. We got to hold that stuff in. We can't express it. So um, I think we touched on some things that uh, I think that some men will consider allowing to express those emotions. Um, And uh, another thing that I want to talk about too, um, before we end our show today is PTSD in different forms on how it's not just military related. When everyone thinks of PTSD is it's military trauma and it's not. Uh, PTSD is from what I know and what I've experienced many different shapes and forms. It can happen through a car accident. It can happen through physical abusive relationships. Um, And I'm sure you've seen numerous different types of PTSD. Um, What are some, what are some signs that you could possibly talk about that might show an individual having PTSD or having that,
0: that trauma? So if I'm being fully honest, like one one of the tenets of my approach is I don't necessarily like Um, The labels and the diagnoses very much. Mm. The pain of PTSD is absolutely real. The pain of bipolar, the pain of borderline personality, absolutely real. But we put labels onto these things in a way that makes it sound like, oh, it's a medical diagnosis kind of thing. And with a medical diagnosis, what we're talking about is something that actually exists inside of you. Like when we're talking about cancer. Well, there's a tumor that exists somewhere inside of you. When it comes to mental health diagnoses, though, like PTSD, what we're really talking about is a series of symptoms that we then give a name to. That's Mm -hmm. it. So it's it's not quite the same thing. And basically, like a large portion of what I was talking about throughout this whole thing is I would argue that 99% of people on this planet are suffering from some level of PT. There's a huge wide range of things, but because it's not in general, the initial trauma in the, like, there are sometimes huge traumas that really cause this, but it's not like we're aware that PTSD, you know, changes the brain, but it's not that in the moment that you experience the trauma, the brain all of a sudden changes. It's about, The shutting down that happens in the moment and the ongoing programming of the brain that happens over years, the ways that we respond to the pain and the ways that we continue to stuff this stuff away. So in terms of signs that you're experiencing it, I mean. It comes down to how easily are you getting triggered? How easy are, are you pushing people away? Are you do you feel uncomfortable expressing yourself? How comfortable are you being intimate with someone? I don't necessarily even mean sexually or romantically, but being open and honest with someone. To what extent are you wearing a mask in order to protect yourself? That's the beginnings of it. And then as you go further down the spectrum, the inability to feel emotions Like being stuck in either just really in depression and low emotions or even just in a emotional numbness is a sign of PTSD. And I think that a lot of men suffer from that because, again, we're afraid to feel the uncomfortable emotions and we're equally afraid to feel the positive ones. And over time, it's just like that emotional wave just numbs out, keeps you stuck there. It's a roller coaster for sure. Yeah. So the ways that you get triggered, the levels to which you are Uh, uh, able to experience emotions and then, you know, even like lashing out the amount of anger that you carry with you. um, I think that all of these, it's all like... Like I said, my argument is that we are all to some extent experiencing it. And then it goes to the worst, uh, like the worst cases of what we might call CPTSD, complex PTSD, which is when these patterns kind of began in a pre-verbal stage. So like when you're carrying around real trauma that, you know, was from before the time that your brain could even start processing it. So your brain never even had a single moment to learn what feeling safe was like. That's when it's at its worst. Because your brain doesn't even know what it's trying to revert to in any sense.
1: So, <clears throat> for the people that uh, that struggle and take medication for PTSD, military, non-military related um, triggers, right? You know, triggers are the worst. <laughs> the worst thing that happened to people with PTSD. Um, the slightest thing can 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 set them into a deep state. In certain situations, in relationships and when you're getting involved um, in a relation relationship, do you express those triggers? Do you let that person know that, hey, these things trigger something in me, we just try to avoid those? Or is there a way you let those see if those happen and then try to combat or try to work through those triggers? What is the best way to approach that?
0: I, I'm surprised that you would ask it as an either or question. It's both. It's, it's very important because, okay. Expressing to your partner, what triggers you is absolutely important while you're going like, that's a huge part of what a healthy relationship is about. You need to be able to communicate and to express. And especially like, if you don't express that, then, it's going to lead to all kinds of other problems in the relationship because they're going to trigger you and you're going to respond in that defensive way. And they're not going to understand what's going on right now. Again, I fully understand that it's uncomfortable to talk about these things, but just in the way that you asked the question was which to be done. So it's absolutely amazing and helpful and very important to be able to express this to your partners so that you guys can both navigate this together as a team. That's what a good relationship is. But then the other thing that I was expressing is that in those moments that you're getting triggered, that is your best opportunity to heal. Those are the moments where this thing that has been buried inside that whole time, then it's right there at the surface. Now, the problem is that whole emotional muscle building thing and that we haven't practiced that or built that along the way. So when you're getting triggered as a result of PTSD and it's like the biggest trauma that's popping up, that's like a 500 pound weight of emotional distress coming up in the moment. And the problem is that you haven't been building that muscle. Mm -hmm. Right now, you're not even capable of lifting five pounds of emotional weight. So when you're getting triggered, that thing is obviously going to be way beyond your capabilities. So when we say like how to work through it, like, yes, when you are getting triggered, those are the moments to work through it. But I wouldn't expect someone who is suffering from PTSD right now and who hasn't been given the tools and skills and who hasn't had an ability to process this, when I say that that moment that you're getting triggered is your opportunity to heal it, I would never expect you, okay, well, you know, someone who's been through war, for example, if, you know, right now, After this conversation, like I said, at this moment, you're barely able to lift five pounds of emotional weight because you've trained yourself so much to stuff this stuff away. Then you're going to walk out in the the streets and a car is going to backfire and it's going to trigger a moment that you, you know, we're getting shot at. I would never expect you right now to be like, oh, well, Benji said that this is the moment to feel it. (laughs) So I guess I should just allow myself to feel it right now. Right. There's no way it's too much. Yeah. This is why. My approach is the emotional fitness training. We need to build those muscles and those skills and those tools so that we can work up to that. And I think that that's one of the problems. And again, I don't mean to knock anything. And I'm so genuinely glad that there are so many options for mental health available. So I'm not trying to knock anything or prevent anyone from Mm -hmm. doing anything. But one of my issues, I think, with some forms of therapy, the way that some therapists do it and other things like EMDR, for example, is... They're trying to bring up the biggest traumas. And it's like you're going to go into, you know, some therapists, you go into the office. okay? well, let's let's talk about your childhood. and let's go and find that worst thing that's ever happened to you. Even though right now you're not even capable of staying calm when someone's taking too long in line at the grocery store. That's making you snap and get angry at people. But hey, why don't we go and focus on the worst thing that ever that's ever happened to you? And maybe by talking about that, you're going to start feeling better. Now, my perspective and my approach is, okay, we need to start dealing with the small things first. Let's learn how to feel that discomfort of when someone is taking a long time in the grocery store and recognize that you're safe in that moment. And then let's learn how to confront the discomfort of when someone cuts you off in traffic. And then when your kid is tugging at your pants and you don't know how to deal with it, let's build up those muscles. Let's start showing your mind and your body and your heart that you are safe, that all of that discomfort inside of you, it's not a threat. And let's start showing you how to feel it so that in a reasonable amount of time, when that car backfires and it reminds you of that time that you are getting shot at, you're going to be able to implement all of those tools and skills and recognize, okay, I'm safe in this moment. And this trauma that my body's trying to play out in the moment, good. Let's feel into it. To actively want to experience it the same way that you said, like when you, when you finally cried, how good it felt. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that the more that you work on that, the more that the next time something makes you want to cry, you're going to be more willing to cry. Yeah. In fact, you're going to be like, oh, well, the last time I did this, this felt really good, so let's do it. As uncomfortable as it might be, let's do it. And we build up that strength and those skills so that our triggers become healing moments not moments of avoidance. That's
1: uh you hit it around the head for me. That's a that's answered my question to the fullest. And and the reason why I asked that question is because in relationships, I think now in today's society, um people are scared to be judged. And I I'm not a person that gets embarrassed. I will embarrass everyone else around me, but I don't get embarrassed. So In today's world with people getting into relationships, being judged so quickly, whether it's, um, you know, they got people that are in that are transgender that are going for, you know, the other sex, whether that's um, a dating profile. They, you know, and and I say transgender because that's the biggest topic right now that I see all over the all over these platforms that get judged hardcore and there's trauma behind that judgment and i listened to this video or watched and listened to this video this um woman who used to be a man got everything done and and was successfully a woman now and she went onto a dating website and she got on she made a profile and there were some features that resembled a man That to me, I mean, it looked like a woman. I mean, I was like, that's, that's a girl, you know, to me, she looked like a girl and that's, that's how I perceived it. And there were some people giving them, giving her hate that you're a man, you're, you know, this and this, that no, I would never, or they, she would meet up with a person on a date. They would get to talking for some reason. And she would have to express, Hey, I'm transgender, you know, and telling that man, Hey, I used to be a man that for some reason sets these men into a spiral of like, but I'm not gay. I'm not gay, you know? And so when I think of PTSD and I think of trauma, you know, there's so many different forms and how it comes and how it affects so many, so many others and, and, and different types of people. There are certain areas that people are getting attacked and there are certain areas that, It's it's tough. And when I watched that video, I felt so bad for her because I'm like, you know what you you you're feeling the way you're feeling. This is you're you're a woman in your eyes. You're a woman. You did everything you can to fit in society because today society is saying if you don't look like a woman, you're not a woman, you know, like and that's why they haven't they're having all these big discussions and they're talking about transgender being this and that. It's just, I feel for people. And then I feel for that lady, especially because the amount of nights they probably stayed up crying, depressed, you know, what their family thought trauma, PTSD, depression, all this is one ball that. it doesn't get talked about as much and it's recently it's been talked about people are starting to get the word out there hey check on your friends you know i have stickers on my wife's car i have stickers on my car it says check on your friends and it has the suicide hotline at the bottom and now it's even better cuz now you can i think it's 811
0: right is it 8 8- uh 8- i'm in canada so Oh yeah, that's I'm right. sure it's
1: yeah. Eight one one for us. So it used to be a one eight hundred number, and and no one in their mind that's going through that needs to talk to somebody that's talking about you know that's thinking suicide and depression, they're not thinking of a one eight hundred suicide hotline number. Okay, so eight one one they just recently passed about eight nine months ago. Was big because it's now it's three letters or three numbers just like nine one one for our emergency services. It's three numbers that they can call that they're going to get direct help from somebody on the phone. Um, and it's open to veterans. It's open to anybody. Veterans also has a suicide hotline number. If, not even if you're feeling suicidal. If you're depressed and you need someone to talk to and you want right there, something triggered you and you're like, I got to talk to somebody, but I don't want to talk to my family. I don't want to talk to my friends. Talk to that anonymous person that's going to give you some advice and help you kind of cope with that triggering issue that happened. And I've been, I watch TV. I, I'm a cable guy. Everyone else likes to stream everything, but I still like to have my cable service. So I sometimes see commercials talking about men's mental health. And that's new. That's ne- I've never seen a commercial talk about men's mental health and telling them to go get help. And then that's wonderful. But they put it on cable. They're not putting it out there on these streaming services. They're not. They're not making shows about men's mental health. They're not. They're not touching on this. Some there's not, some things. There's some things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sure
0: that I would agree. Like I mean, because I I don't watch TV. I do stream stuff, or I'm more online. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you know. Same as you. I'm starting to see this topic come more into the public sphere. Um, I'll be honest with you. Both as someone who doesn't watch cable TV and as a Canadian. Um, I was in I was in Florida recently at the end of last year, and American commercials are weird, man. Like, I was seeing, especially like pharmaceutical commercials. Yes. I was seeing a a commercial for AIDS medicine. Yep. And it seemed like a really weird thing to advertise, especially keeping in mind that, so maybe, hopefully, the mental, the men's mental health ads were being sponsored by like the government or something, but especially seeing AIDS medication because when it's an ad, you know they're doing it for profit. It's not like and, and just the way that they were advertising it, it was really weird. Mm-hmm. I hope that's not coming across the wrong way. It's not, I'm not saying that I don't no. think AIDS should be talked about in the public no. sphere. I'm saying like seeing just American commercials are weird is all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um but I uh, know I'm you're right. I think that in a lot of ways the topic of men's mental health is starting to come out a little more. And I was just saying, like, I think that also in the online sphere, like I'm on Facebook, uh, you know, scrolling down and I see ads for mental health services, for suicide hotlines, um, lots of lots of ads that are starting to talk about, you know, men's emotional healing and men's retreats and being open to our emotions. So and I think um, even the, you know, keep in mind, I never like the term life coach, but the life coaching industry is um introducing a lot of men's mental health coaches to the public sphere and opening up a lot more uh, avenues for men to finally kind of realize that it's okay to see you mentioned earlier that you don't think you're emotional and th- there was a separate topic we could have gone into about that because like <laughs> I, I i understand that men and women like yeah we have different ranges of emotions and we'll experience it differently but when we like men are emotional too our own way there's no way yeah. around it we are emotional creatures as human mm-hmm. beings so I think that men are starting to it's it's starting to be okay to say like yes i I have emotions and yes mm-hmm. I have pain inside and yes i i I need to feel it I need to talk about it I need to express it
1: yeah and that's and that's one thing that I like to tell you know some of my friends and I'm part of this I'm part of this thing that's uh it's called um I'm looking at my phone just to verify, but there is this app that's called Be My Eyes. And I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with it. I heard about that. Yeah. I absolutely love the app. and I like I get a sense of pride and good feeling and when I'm helping others. it makes me feel whole inside. Um, and there's and it's just weird that so part of this app, people with disabilities that can't see, Um, that are trying to navigate in their normal life will use this app for you to be their eyes. And I remember my very first call I got on this app and I was having the absolute worst day of my life. It was a depressive day. It was gloomy outside. I was snapping at everybody and this elderly lady calls. And she asked me if I could help her read back of a box of some um, I call it mole skin for the military, but it was just like a, it's like a, um, a skinned bandaid that you put on the back of your heels. If you have blisters so preventive blisters from coming or even popping. And she just needed to know what side that needed to apply it to her foot and something that simple. And I explained it to her and you can see it. Cause it's just like on FaceTime and explain it to her. And then she's like, Well, I got one more and then she would like zone it around and she would say, what, you know, where is, which way is the hall that I need to go down to for whatever? And you just tell them. So it just seems that every time I'm having a bad day, I get one of these calls and it makes me feel so much better. But it also in my, in my mind and body, I'm like, think that they're calling for somebody else to help them and they're by themselves. They can't see they can't do normal activities. Like I get to see you right now. I get to talk to you. I get to do all this fun stuff. They don't. And so, you know, and then I take into the sense like, man, I got everything I could ask for. I got a, I got a beautiful house. I got a beautiful wife. I got beautiful kids. Um, um, successful job, you know? And I don't, I don't, to me, I don't feel like, um, I allow myself to enjoy that. I don't allow myself to grasp that. Hey, you got everything. Be happy. Enjoy life. Things could be a lot worse. And so being on this app and, and uh, using this when I get a chance to, and then I get to pick up and I always get so mad. I'm like, Oh, I missed that call. (laughs) I could have helped somebody today. Um, I've taken 10 calls um, and I've been a partner with them for since 2017. So I love it. It's sweet. It's a great feeling. Um, but you know, take it every day, take it every day, live your day as an, as a new day of, I want to say like, (sighs) I don't know. I want to be like, I'm, I'm, I want to be happy every day. I want to be happy. I want to be thankful for what I got because, um, Realizing that not everyone can have this happiness, not everyone can have what I got. Yeah. So it's really hard to express that and to accept it. But I'm learning. And it's yeah. been ever since I've been learning, it's been a great feeling.
0: Yeah. I think your story with that app is a beautiful thing. And it's it's a perfect example of that we are naturally empathic at our core. We need to live for others to an extent. A life that is focused on yourself entirely is one that is ultimately unfulfilling. That being said, you know, unconditional self-love needs to be at the core. We need to take care of ourselves first so that we can be willing to take care, we can have the energy and the um, the ability to take care of others. But yeah, if, if you are not in some way being of service to this world, that eats at us as well and the simple acts of kindness can do so much for us. And when you were talking earlier about people being judged and you know, you're bringing up the transgender thing, but like I think people being judged and the fear of that is one of the biggest reasons why most of us aren't as service as much to this world as we could be first. Uh, for for myself, I needed to conquer a lot of my discomfort and to be willing to stand up in public as this person like, hey, I'm a mental health coach and to make these statements that sometimes go against the grain to, you know, talk about how diagnoses aren't necessarily helpful or to talk, you know, to say some counterintuitive things to the standard approach. Like I needed to do a lot of self-love and a lot of self-work to be able to express these things and not be so afraid of being judged or even as. I think a different example, uh, it's very interesting. It's something that I've thought about from time to time. I don't think I've ever actually said this out loud yet to anyone. Um, there are often times when I want to help people in public, but I don't because I'm afraid of what it looks like. Yeah. Um, sometimes, there, I, there was once last year, there was a kid hurt at a park and like a six year old, seven year old kid just hurt. Not like, oh, my God, he's dying. So absolutely, you better go take care of it. But yeah. a kid that's hurt at a park and the little brother there. And I wanted to go up and like, you know, give them some support, take care of them, kind of be there until the parents arrived. But I'm worried about, oh, my God, what does it look like for a grown man to walk up to two kids in the park mm-hmm. or a similar time? A few months before that, there was a girl who was kind of leaving soccer practice and was limping. And I wanted to offer to help her get to her car. But she's this teenage girl. What does it look like for a grown man to go and help them? And the fear of being judged prevented me from performing simple acts of kindness. And that's a shame.
1: It's sad. And that's today's society. And it sucks. And there's a lot of opportunities wasted that could be helpful to a lot of individuals that are struggling during that time. Yeah. And you're not the only one that feels that way. Cause I feel the same way. <laughs> like I've, I've gotten to situations. I'm like, I, I could, I could help, but I'm going to look like a really weird man. Like people yeah. are going to look at me very strange. Um, you know, and having kids of my own, I'm like, it's my dad instinct to go out and help. I see yeah. little girls out in our that play. We live in a double cul-de-sac, a double circle in our neighborhood. And so, uh, <laughs> We got little kids riding on bikes and scooters all the time. They fall all the time. So I'm like, jump on my, like, Oh God. All right. You guys are all right. Like I can do that in my own neighborhood because everyone around me knows who I am. But if I went out there and I went to a random park and I seen the same thing happen and I rush over to them, like, come on, people are like, Whoa, what, what is this guy doing? You know? And I'm a tattooed man. So <laughs> I can a- appear scary to some people and some kids and, and it just, it sucks. But, um, you're, you're not wrong. You know, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that feel the same exact way yeah. and it and it and it's not just about you know in that kind of being judged it's you know what if they get mad for you helping them what if they don't want the help because there's a lot i mean i I say it because there's a lot of
0: handicapable people out there that
1: might have an accident that don't want your help
0: yeah. but so i and I think that's an it, it's all an interesting example because as much work as i've done on myself i will always have a lot more work to do and an even stronger version of myself would have gone and helped if i wasn't so afraid of being judged and if i and if i do get judged in the end then so be it i understand that someone who's going to judge me who's going to get angry at me for trying to help is only responding to their pain and trauma they've been hurt somewhere before and they will see me as this suspicious kind of guy and I, you know, many times you wouldn't get judged. You would actually be appreciated for it. And I hope to both get to a world where we can all feel more comfortable doing that. But since that's a grand wish, to at least get to a version of myself, you know what, where I'm not going to hold back. Because if I can really, truly maintain a full level of self-awareness, of confidence, of compassion in that moment, instead of being afraid of getting judged, then I will have the ability to do it more. And the fear of being judged is one of the biggest things that might make me come across as suspicious or creepy. Whereas if I don't have any of that fear, then it will come across differently. And this is what I'm saying. I think that the fear of being judged is one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest reason, why most of us are not the fullest versions of ourselves that we could be in order to be of the greatest service to this world. We all have, not to be in like that typical, you can do whatever you want, but like follow your dreams kind of thing. But we all have something special to offer this world just by being the most authentic versions of yourself. We all have something unique about us. And the more that we can cultivate that unique thing and bring it out into the world, doesn't matter what it is. Just by being as ultimately authentic and unique as you can be inspires other people to do that. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel warm in their heart. Everyone in this world just wants to be seen and appreciated for who they are.
1: And then you say that there's a lot of judgment for people that want to stand out and be themselves. And those, I feel, are people that are afraid to express them, them their own selves. Um. I grew up in high school and and everyone that was just a little bit weird, they weren't really just a little bit weird. They were just being themselves in their own world. They, they, they wanted to show everyone, Hey, this is me. This is the real me. And everyone else was being either not wanting to be a leader. They wanted to be a follower and they wanted to do everything else that everybody else was doing. They didn't want to be their own individual. And I'm starting to see that, I'm starting to see those individuals now in today's society expressing themselves, being their own person setting trends. And it's a great, it's great to see. Wish I would have seen that growing up because I do try a part of me still lives in now of trying to impress others. Hey, I need, I need that car to show what I do or I need that type of brand of clothing to let people know that I'm successful. And it took me a while to realize that what I have for material, you know, what I have for money, it, there's nothing that I have that's going to change anybody's mind of what they already know about me. Yeah. I'm not going to put on a mask and pretend I'm somebody I'm not. And when I once I realized that, I didn't have to have the sweet fast car to impress everyone. I didn't have to have the flashy clothes and expensive clothes. I mean, my ass goes to the goodwill to you know a a, a hand-me-down store, and I'm buying stuff that people's donated because I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. I'm not here to to show everyone that I'm better than you. I'm gonna I'm my own self, and I if I want to go bargain shopping for a nice t-shirt and some shorts, I'm gonna go do that. My wife's the same mentality, yeah. and I feel bad because my kids, you know, we we go and buy hand down clothes all the time, but. With kids growing nowadays, I don't know why my parents never did that for me because they just wasted yeah. so much money, but I was an asshole to them because I'm like, "Hey, I, I need that. Yeah. Everyone in my school is wearing Fubu. I need Fubu. Everyone's wearing Massimo. I need Massimo." Like that's just, you know, that's just what they're wearing, you know? And today's changing because you go all over social media and TikTok and you're looking at all these people creating their own fashion, dressing yeah. however they want and no one's judging
0: them. Yeah. And I think the range of what may or may not be considered cool is expanding. Um, Something that I was thinking about a while ago was just like, it's very weird and completely arbitrary of the things that we have chosen to put on a pedestal and the things that we have chosen to look down on. So especially if we're looking at, you know, a high school age kind of kid, you know, the standard is that the quarterback of the football team is super cool and the leader of the chess team is a dork. Yeah. But when you think about it a little more openly, like, wait, okay. So physical prowess is amazing, but mental agility is uncool. Like it's weird that we've chosen and, that as this is the thing that's normal, this is the thing that's weird. Because and it's I think the manly men, you know? Yeah.
1: That's how and that's and it's sad, but to me, I mean, I was best friends with the smartest kid in my school. I was like, yo, I want to know how your brain works because it's mm-hmm. it's mine mine wasn't working to his level. And you you bring up the the football and then, you know, the chess guy, I was a football player. I was dumb as shit. I'm gonna tell you, I grew up. I mean, I didn't want to apply myself. I was smart. I was a smart child, but I didn't want to apply myself because I wanted to be cool like everyone else. And then I became friends with this really, really smart young man and
0: he he didn't care what people thought he, is so can can I enter even right there? The, the idea that he didn't care what people thought this, this is the issue right there that the only reason why the super smart ones are the dorks is because we train them. Like they don't feel comfortable expressing themselves. Imagine you had the head of the chess team who was never trained to think that he is less than for not being physically at the top of the class, but is actually genuinely proud and respected and appreciated for being mentally head of the class. He wouldn't be a dork. You can be a confident, suave genius as well. But it's only because we chose to prioritize the physical prowess and chose to put down the sort of mental thing that he even had to not care what people think.
1: Yeah. And I tell my kids that every day and And my son used to love reading, but now his friends don't love reading because all his friends are doing is playing video games, playing Fortnite and going out and they're doing their sports. I'm a sports dad. I am all for your sports but your school work comes first if you cannot be successful in the classroom you're not going to be successful on the field and i instill we 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 instill reading reading is huge Uh, i can't tell you the kids that i talk to on an everyday basis where their vocabulary is absolutely crap because they chose not to read in a free time or they chose to watch mtv cribs or the you know something stupid on TV that taught them words that have no meaning or they can't use in their everyday life. My son's using words that, I mean, not a typical age kid gonna, of his age is going to be using. He's pulling words out the dictionary that I'm like, Hey, I, I haven't even used that word. That's impressive. Yeah. Like I like that, you know, and I, and I, we're raising our kids to be unique and be that way. Put your head into the books, put your head into things that they can't show you on TV but you're gonna train your mind and your brain into expand that book. You're gonna open a whole new world with your mind reading a book. No matter if it's boring or not. They,
0: you know, I gotta say, uh, your kids are really lucky to have a dad like you. Like everything she talked about, that to have someone who's been working on their emotions, who encourages them to be themselves, who wants like who wants to help people and who is working on great, like just your, it's, your kids are very lucky.
1: <laughs> I appreciate it. It's tough. We have, you know, we have, uh, our son is, is, he's unique. You know, he, he, he's very, very emotional kid. Um, he, they, you know, he got, the doctor told him he had ADHD, but, you know, I don't think it's, we don't want to say it's ADHD. It's just. <sighs> I mean, he falls under ADHD. Like every, if, you, if I tell you all the symptoms, he can't focus, he can't stay focused on certain times. He takes medicine for it. It's fine. I hate saying that he's ADHD and that's just what it is because he's so smart. And I think that there's so much going on in his brain that he just can't, he, you know, he's not focusing on that one thing, but he's so intelligent that he's, he's solving things in his brain faster than what he can do them in physically, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, he's very smart. He's very loving, very caring. He's just today on the way home. He's a kid that lives near us was talking about uh, a girl being overweight. And and you got to think he's, he's eight years old. You know, they're in second grade and these, there's a kid bullying another girl because she's overweight. And he, he's like, dad, mom, I don't want to be friends with him anymore. I'm like, why? You know, he told us a story. He was like, he was calling her fat. She can eat six rows of cheeseburgers, this and that. And I'm like, is he saying that to her face? He goes, Yeah. And I said, okay, well, we talked about this kid before. You know, he was a problem before. And uh, you like to run back to, to those type of kids. You like to be friends with those kids. He goes, Yeah, but I want to help them. And I said, Okay, well, I said, some kids are just past where you can't help them right now, but you can stick up for the ones that are helpless. Ones that are getting made fun of, you can stick up for them. And he's learning life lessons along the way. He's sticking up for kids that can't stick up for themselves. He's—he was a, at one point being a follower and making fun of a kid that um, has issues in class. And you know, we got wind of it from the teacher. And I said, "This isn't you. Stop being this person. Be a leader. Stick up for the kid that can't stick up for himself. Because once that kid realizes that he has an army behind him, these other kids aren't going to pick on him anymore." he goes okay okay and and i and, and i have i have a two a one-year-old about to be two in august sensory issues doesn't talk he says a couple words here and there but you know we use hand signals we use more we use, you know please thank you he's learning these things he'll say the things you know a cat he'll tell me what a cat says coming what a dinosaur says he'll say bye-bye but he can't say mom he can't say dad he can't say certain words and he chooses to yell when he wants something he'll point and yell when he wants something um gets mud on his feet he gets his hands wet he gets any, any water on he freaks out um he we thought maybe he might have been on the autistic scale you know and we we're like yeah it if this is the challenge that we were facing we're going to we're we're going to we're going to do everything we can to make him be the best him we could possibly be, and we kind of find out he's not autistic. He just he has high sensory problem or high sensory issues, and having a kid that's you know down on himself, and and my eight year old has had has had those thoughts of death, and and being in an eight year old, and I've never experienced this before. It's really scary, uh, being a parent, thinking my my child at that age thinking about that stuff um you know i had him call the va hotline for suicide and let him talk to a lady and i'm telling you that was the best experience i've ever had that lady was so genuine and sweet she i don't even i can't remember her name but it changed his life he's in a snap he turned his perspective about death around it's just it's remarkable man and so when i get into the depression talk and i get into the mental health it's big on our, it's big in our family to talk about it. It's big to express it. And for you to come on the show tonight, um, I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful you answered my email. And uh, um, I'm very glad that you could be a part of something that we are trying to make better for the world and express and talk about. And this isn't a typical thing we do on this show. We don't talk about our mental health and we don't, we don't talk about that stuff. And so um, everyone's really excited about this happening tonight and so I uh, thank you and thanks for letting us share and let me share part of my life because everyone's <laughs> gonna now really know who I am and and I'm okay with that but um, it's easier to express my feelings to let people relate and open up and understand that they're not the only ones that struggle
0: yeah well this this was beautiful I'm really honored that you had me I'm glad to share it I'm glad that you felt comfortable opening up to me and, and to everyone else here and really i think the work that you've been doing on yourself is amazing um the way that you're raising your kids is amazing and uh running this podcast being able to share so thank you I appreciate
1: it um before we go uh i do want to say everyone that's that can't be here they they want to say thank you they're listening um i have you're you're on the, you're on the phone call because we have you on a live phone call but it's like you can't hear anybody and they can't they can only hear you um so i'm getting i got messages on my phone that saying thank you for for talking and uh we're excited this will be posted on youtube as well so just so you know um and hopefully we can get a lot of reactions a lot of people to relate and um just give me one more time uh i know we got before we go i want to tell you, your two books you have out there's two correct yeah all right and they uh one of them is the ten mind hacks for a quicker emotional healing. Correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, talk. Give me brief summary about that book and 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 kind of what's involved into that.
0: So the ten mind hacks is kind of like the partner book for the other one. Um, like, you can start with either. But in general, I recommend people start with Feelings First, Shadow Work. That's kind of the name of the main book. That talks about my perspective and my approach and and kind of what self-love really is and and this whole concept of bypassing the analysis and the intellect. And then 10 Mind Hacks for Quicker Emotional Healing, kind of. We still dive into some of the concepts and, and a bunch of the wisdom there. But it's basically like it was 10. I, I don't want to say like at least the last one or two of them isn't really an exercise to do. But the first eight, at least, they're like eight things that you can start implementing like right away, just either um, mantras is definitely not the right word, but perspectives approaches to certain things. or Like one of the first ones that I talk about is something that I call programming subroutines in your mind. And there's a way that you can kind of create this pattern where, you know, action X will send your brain down into Pattern why, and that's creating subroutines. So there's something like that. There's another, there's a chapter about, um, you know, taking responsibility for your life, which is something that I think some people have, like. I'm not the first person to talk about this, but along the lines of like, there was a lesson that I learned for myself along the way of even when someone else is legitimately to blame for something, what could I have done to change the situation? Like, what is the point? Why am I going to wait? I I liken it to defensive driving in the book where you are going to take responsibility. Like you're you're not going to presume that everyone else on the road is driving safely. So you're going to start acting better. So it's tips along those lines of things that you can start implementing to take control of your mental health and of these cycles that we were talking about before, the thoughts, emotions, sensations. So those two books kind of go together. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so both of those books, you can, uh, if you're an Amazon person, you can find both of those books on Amazon and you can buy them together for 29 98, just so you guys know. Um, and, uh, you do have uh, a little baby log free. There's a good, there's a good write up about you here on your profile on Amazon too. And it says about the author, which is, it's nice. I like to read about my author before I read, um, kind of gives me a perspective of the reasoning behind what they're writing. Um, but, you, it looks like you, you have great reviews on, 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 on both books. You can download them on Audible, on the Audible app or on Kindle. So if you're a reader, I like to listen to things. My wife likes to listen to books, too. Um, so definitely check that out. And uh, websites um, that they can get information to as well.
0: Yep coaching.com. you can check out the title of the podcast to see how to spell my name. Yep. Um and like I said anyone who's who's genuinely interested in potentially doing more work with me or something I would suggest you check out that webinar um first cuz it'll give you a huge perspective and a lot. So that's at my website slash replay uh, or anyone who just kind of wants to join a community. I've got a Facebook group that's called self love and shadow work, modern awakenings. That's where I do a lot. Like most of my posts, um, or answer questions. uh, and there's, there's a nice community of people there, so you can find us there.
1: Good. Communities are great. I love, I belong to a lot of them and there's a lot of helpful information out there. So I'm glad that you have that around for people. Um, again, Benji, appreciate you stopping out and taking some time out with us little longer than i anticipated but i love it i love this is a great topic to dive into so thank you for your patience and,
0: and spending time with us today my pleasure i i was and i noticed that we went longer than expected <laughs> and i was taking that as a good sign like hey he's totally. enjoyed a great conversation so i'm not gonna stop it yet. Yeah. no worries
1: uh, appreciate it again and uh, hopefully we talk awesome. soon Cheers, appreciate
0: it i said it's not over yet Catch up on all the latest episodes just by saying, hey, Alexa, play the Shedcast. Or find us on Apple Podcast and Spotify. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Follow us on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at the Shedcast LLC. From, From all, all of us at, us at the Shedcast, Shedcast thank, thank you, you for, for listening. listening.